1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 25. Paul writes, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For if anyone speaks in a tongue, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will it be to you? Unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction, even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may, be in, may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then, they will not listen to me says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or believers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. 
as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Why do we worship the way that we do? I wonder if that's a question you've ever asked. If you've um, been born and raised in this church and you've yet to move away, you've maybe not had any good reason to even ask the question. Uh, Some of you are part of our church family and there's lots of things that your personal preference would be to do things differently or you might be thinking about other churches that do things very differently. And if that's true for either of you, you might have learned over the course of time that it's easier and sometimes even wiser not to dig too hard into those questions of why we do things the way that we do. But then there are times in our lives when we are forced to ask that question. So I think I'm right in saying there are about 700,000 new students starting a new graduate or undergraduate course over the course of this next week. And in and amidst that massive throng of people, there will be several thousand who are going to have to decide where to go to church for the next however long. And that church might look very different to their home church. It might look very, very different to their home church. And perhaps that describes you this evening. Perhaps some of you and others who will join us over the course of the next few weeks, you're asking that very question. What kind of a church should I be in? Why do we worship the way we do? Then there are times in your life when no change in circumstance happens, but you read a passage like 1 Corinthians 14, and the question is front and center. So we've just read verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So, should we? We're going to see over the course of the next few weeks, as Paul works through this chapter, that um, prophecy is a greater gift than tongues. That's, That's not because... There is something about a prophet that makes them better than a speaker in tongues. It's, it's not in that sense anything tied to the gift as such. It's in relation to how it builds up the church. But lest you think that tongues are therefore unimportant, Paul's really clear as we go through this chapter to make it very abundantly clear that tongues are also a great gift. So you look in verse 18. He thanks God that he speaks in tongues more than everyone in Corinth. And back in verse 5 says, he would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Does that mean us too? That sharpens our question even more, doesn't it? Because now we're not just thinking about, well, if Emmanuel did everything that I would like it to do, we would do X, Y, or Z. Or if I look down the church somewhere else, They do things differently. Now the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthians and saying, you should do these things. So why don't we? Are we anti-Holy Spirit? Are we disobedient? Are we selective in the passages that we think we're going to obey and just ignore the ones that we don't like or feel comfortable with? They're really important questions for us to ask. And 
they're important questions for us to ask because if we don't, we will always feel awkward. We'll feel awkward whenever we read passages like this and we'll feel awkward whenever we spend time with any of our brothers and sisters who are in different churches that have reached different conclusions. So as Matthew mentioned, about three weeks' time, Lord willing, we're going to work through the detail of this chapter. What I want to do tonight is dig into that question, just to have one evening to set the context for this chapter. Why do we worship the way we do? And I particularly want us to think, if we're going to understand chapter 14 properly over the course of the next few weeks, what is prophecy and tongues? why we should be thankful that God gave those gifts, and why we should be thankful that those gifts aren't needed now. That's where I want us to head for. So if you're the kind of person who likes to have one big idea and know where the sermon's going to go, my big idea is that prophecy and tongues were essential gifts of revelation that were needed to establish the church for all time. That's where we're going. Firstly, I want us to think about prophecy and tongues being gifts of revelation. What does Paul mean when he uses the word prophecy? You might think it's an obvious question to answer, but actually it's a little trickier when you look in the text because he doesn't give us a definition. He doesn't tell us, this is prophecy, this is tongues, this is what you are to do with them. But if you read through the chapter, what we are going to see is he tells us enough about prophecy for us to work out what he means by the word. So you look in verse 6, and Paul seems to be talking in pairs about revelation, knowledge, prophecy, and teaching. So knowledge happens when there's good teaching, like you get if you're in a classroom. If you've got a good teacher, the students will grow in their knowledge. And in the same way, revelation is what happens when there's faithful prophecy. So a prophet reveals something to God's people that hadn't been revealed before. That's what separates prophet on the one hand from teachers and preachers on the other hand. Prophets don't have a text, if I can put it that way. Prophets reveal God's word. Preachers expound what the prophets reveal. See how the cycle works? And prophecy is a live event, if I can put it in those terms. If you look at verse 29 and 30, in a few weeks' time, we're going to be thinking about what happens in a worship service in Paul's day in Corinth. And there you have this uh, occasion where there is someone receiving a revelation. And what Paul says is the person who just received that revelation should be given opportunity, space to share it. There's that in-the-moment nature of prophecy. So even though in the New Testament we rarely have the preface that we're all used to in the Old Testament of thus saith the Lord, that's exactly the same thing that is happening in the New Testament. The Bible doesn't give us any reason to think that prophecy is any different between the Old Testament than in the New. So whether God is speaking and revealing something to his people about the here and the now, or whether he's telling them something about the future, prophecy is the same in the Old and the New Testament because it is the infallible spoken word of the living God to his people. 
Now, if you um, see the connection between the Old and the New Testament um, like that, please forgive me for sitting. I hope you all know it's not out of disrespect. Um, It it helps you with all sorts of things. Um, But I want to just focus on one for a minute. If, If, as I believe is true, New Testament prophecy is the same as Old Testament prophecy because they're both revealing the Word of God, it helps us understand why we don't have in the Bible all of the recorded prophecies that have taken place in human history. So let's go back to the Old Testament for a minute. If you go back and you start reading through Elijah and Elisha's ministry, there's actually very few of their prophecies recorded. In fact, if you read through the whole of First and Second Kings, there are all sorts of other prophets mentioned. At one point, you've got a hundred prophets being tucked away in caves. But we don't know anything of what they prophesied. Who is the greatest prophet who has ever walked this earth? The Lord Jesus Christ. When you get into the New Testament, what do we know at the end of John's record of Jesus' life and ministry? John writes, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world wouldn't have room for all the books that would be written. So here's the big idea. The fact that, could we even say most of Elijah and Elisha and Jesus' prophecies weren't recorded in the Bible is not a problem. All it tells us is that those prophecies were not such that God thought were necessary for all of his church, his believers, for all time. I think understanding that helps us put prophecy in Corinth in some kind of context. It's okay that we don't know all of the words of prophecy that were spoken by God through his prophets to the church because we don't need to know all of the prophecy that God has intended for his people for all time to be fully equipped for everything that they need for a life of doctrine and truth is contained in the Bible. But it does raise an interesting question, though. Um, when, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, they didn't have a complete New Testament. They didn't have in the second half of the Bible, the 27 books in total, the 66 books of the Bible that we have, so that if somebody popped up during one of their worship services and started saying something and considered themselves to be a prophet or perhaps to speak in tongues, they wouldn't have all of the books of the Bible to examine and think, is this person speaking God's word? So what did they do? Well, they did what God's people have always done. They tested the prophecy. That's what God's people have always done. They did it in the Old Testament and they do it, did it in the New. And it's really important that, again, we see the similarity between the Old and the New. When we get into the New Testament and we're going to read of testing prophecies, what we're not hearing is a completely new test for a completely different type of prophecy. We are seeing God's people being encouraged to test prophets in the same way that they have always tested prophecies. To examine whether what someone says is true or not. So prophecy then, it's a gift of revelation that brings new and living words 
from God. What about tongues? Well, tongues are only referred to in two books of the New Testament, as best I can tell, from Acts and 1 Corinthians. And if we only had the book of Acts, this would be a much simpler conversation. (laughs) Um, If you can remember what took place in Pentecost, in Acts 2, you've got loads and loads of Jews who were ethnic Jews, but had moved away to all sorts of other countries. And they'd adopted the languages of all of those other countries. So they gathered and came back to Jerusalem for this religious festival because they're ethnic Jews. But they would have forgotten, perhaps even had never learned, Hebrew as their mother tongue. So when we get to the um, description of all of these people... Uh, Luke describes them as having this smorgasbord of native languages. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, and Arabs. If you think about how enormously diverse that list of languages is, in God's great pan of history, that is, that's Babel writ large, isn't it? That's that sense of the judgment of God has resulted in people being spread all over the world and speaking all sorts of languages so that they can't speak to one another. But as the Holy Spirit empowered the believers, he enabled them to speak in those languages. What's going on? You're seeing one of the blessings of God's kingdom breaking into this world. And reversing the effects of the fall. You're seeing people being able to hear the gospel in their own language. Which is exactly what you see in Acts 10. You've got Cornelius and his friends trying to reach out to Greeks who speak languages that Cornelius doesn't speak. And the spirit enables them to speak in the languages of their hearers. So you work your way through Acts and what you're seeing is as God pushes the church out with the gospel, he equips the church to share the gospel with people of other languages. Now, if that were all we knew about tongues, it would be straightforward. But on a first read, things seem to get more complicated in 1 Corinthians 14. So verse 2, Paul talks about people speaking in a tongue that doesn't speak to people but to God. You look at verse 4, there's something of a kind of inward focus to this tongue speaking. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. Is this tongue speaking therefore different to what we read in Acts? Some Christians think it is. And in fact, if you weren't here last week, some would flick back to chapter 13 um, and they would read at the very beginning of chapter 13, Paul saying, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels and would understand that together with chapter 14 to be a description to some kind of heavenly language. Now, I may be wrong and my big preface to all of this discussion on gifts is I may well be wrong. Has anybody heard of Tom Schreiner? Tom Schreiner is about, I don't know, 60. He's a phenomenally wise and godly New Testament scholar. He's part of Southern Seminary. Um, And Tom grew up, Dr. Schreiner, perhaps I should say, um, 
and grew up convinced that some of these gifts had ended, and then read a number of gifts, a number of books, and thought that actually the gifts continue. And then came to a point a number of years ago where he realized that he'd been wrong in the middle, and actually he thought that the gifts had ended. And he's written very helpfully on the subject of gifts. I think one of the most lovely things that he's written in the book is, I may well be wrong. And I'd like us to approach this topic with that kind of humility, not to say that we can't be clear in our convictions, not to say that we, I don't think, cannot make progress in this area, but I want to have that kind of humility, okay? I might be wrong, but for what I explained last week, if you missed last week, you can listen to it online. I don't think that's what Paul's referring to in chapter 13. I think he's using a kind of rhetorical way of speaking to say, if you could speak more eloquently than anybody who's ever lived, but you didn't have love, and on it goes. Well, in chapter 14, I think there's good reason to think that Paul isn't describing a spiritual, heavenly language here, and he's actually describing the very same thing that was being exercised in Pentecost. Now, let me skim through this chapter, and I want to show you how I think that works. And again, we're going to work through it in more detail in the weeks to come. Verse 2. In verse 2, the reason this tongue-speaking can't be understood doesn't necessarily mean it's because it's a language of heaven. It could simply mean that there's nobody in the congregation that speaks the human language that's being spoken. God, you see, can understand every language. So it's not that there could ever be any language spoken anywhere on planet Earth that God can't understand. But no one in the church, perhaps, was there who is going to be helped by it, which is why, verse 4, it only edifies the person who's speaking it. Not because they understand it, but because there's a blessing in even being part of praising God in a language when you don't understand it. Now, you might think, mm, I think you're pushing the boat here. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I'm assuming most of you have had the privilege at some point of going on holiday to a country where English isn't the first language and you find a church and everything takes place in Spanish, Italian, Urdu, whichever language you're in. And you haven't got a clue (laughs) what's being said. But there's a blessing of knowing that you are there with the people of God praising him. I think that's getting at what's being described here in that a person could speak in a tongue, a language that they don't understand, and it's still a blessing to them, even though it's only God who's able to understand it, because there isn't anybody in the room that speaks that language. And I think that explains how verses 10 and 11 fit into this chapter, the the whole purpose of language, the great, one of the great gifts of humanity, is that you're able to understand one another. And if you can't understand one another, then there's not much point in doing all the talking. So one of the gifts that God gave to some in the early church was to speak in languages they couldn't understand so that, here's the purpose, as God pushes the church out into the world, the world can hear the gospel. But that's only helpful if there are people present who understand it, which verse 13 onwards we're going to see is why you should only speak in that other language if there's somebody in the church that can understand it. And if you can't understand it, 
then somebody else could translate it for you. And if you get to that place, okay, where either you can translate the tongue yourself or somebody else can translate it for you, tongues then becomes as helpful as prophecy. Because the interpreted tongue is then revealing something to God's people about God and his purposes. All of which explains how important prophecy and tongues are. That's what we're going to see as we work through chapter 14. That's why there's so much emphasis on them. But as important as they are, I don't think it was God's intention for them to be a part of the church for all of human history. And that's because, secondly, God's purpose with prophecy and tongues has been fulfilled. Now, if you were with us last week, You might remember me saying that I don't think Paul is addressing the question of when those gifts might end in chapter 13. If you look back in verses 10 and 12, we had this fascinating (laughs) insight into the fact that uh, where there are prophecies, they will cease, and where there are tongues, they will be stilled. And we looked in verse 12 at the fact that all of those things will happen when we see uh, the perfect, forgive me, that's in verse 10. All of those things will happen when the completeness comes or when the perfect comes. So there's this big endline date, um, the sell-by date, as it were, for these gifts, where they will all end when Jesus Christ returns. But I don't think Paul's answering the question in chapter 13 about whether any of the gifts would end any sooner. And I think the same is true in chapter 14. I don't think chapter 14 tells us that any of the gifts would end any sooner than when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. What we have in chapter 14 is an explanation of the purpose of the gifts. Why has God given these gifts to the church? And once we understand the purpose, we can understand why they might end before the Lord Jesus returns. Now, the clearest argument for all of these gifts coming to an end, and we'll work through chapter 14 in a few weeks, but the clearest argument is Ephesians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, please turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. If you are visiting and you've got a church Bible, that is on page 1174. And when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he wrote in verse 19 of chapter 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Paul's emphasizing two things about prophecy here. Prophecy is important and prophecy is temporary. Prophecy is important, so important, in fact, that it, together with the ministry of the apostles, is the very foundation of the church. If God hadn't given prophecy to the church, there would be no church for us to be building on today. We would have no foundation to build on. We would be like the foolish builder who would be building on the sand because we wouldn't have the solid rock of God's revealed word to build on. But it's also temporary. You see, if we were to say that we still have prophets today who are are bringing new authoritative revelation from God, 
we would essentially be undermining the final and sufficient authority of the Scriptures. Imagine um, you're at home this week and somebody knocks on the door, uh, introduces himself as a builder and says, yeah, we need to knock down the back half of your house because we need to do some more work on the foundations. It would inspire you very much <laughs> in what you've already got and it would leave you wondering about what kind of work is going to come. I think that's the picture that Paul's describing here. The, the ministry of prophecy was massive, but it's also temporary. So that as the scriptures were completed, the season, the, the reason for prophecies came to an end. And I hope we will see as we work through chapter 14 that that same logic applies to tongues. So it, Paul's argument as you go all the way through the chapter is that uninterpreted tongues in public are unhelpful. Don't do it interpreted tongues are a blessing and they function like prophecy. They are revealing to people something about God and his word. So if, Ephesians 2.20, prophecy has ended because we now have the fullness and the completeness of the word of God, then so too has tongues ended. That's, that's the argument. Prophecy and tongues were essential gifts of revelation that were needed to establish the church for all time. What I want to do very practically as we close is I want to make that very relevant because hopefully that's helped you think about the big picture. We'll get into chapter 14 in a little bit. What does that mean for us today? Six things. We'll be quick. Number one, prophecy and tongues ending doesn't mean we can't learn from 1 Corinthians 14. We're not, I don't think, depending on how you want to bracket things, we're not in exactly the same moment of redemptive history. I appreciate if you just think about creation, fall, salvation, glorification, we're in the same bit. But let's just think for a minute about how there are differences between our situation and the situation of the Corinthians. You see, it's very easy for us as Christians, I think, I put myself into this camp as well, to think if it's written in the New Testament then it applies to me today, 2023, exactly the same as it did when it was written. It's like there's a straight line between anything written in the New Testament and my life today. But that's not true. Jesus has ascended into heaven, which means we need to be careful how we understand the Gospels. We have a completed scripture, which means we need to be careful how we interpret the epistles. Um, I think we need to be more careful in coming out of 1 Corinthians than we sometimes think as Christians. I think we need to do that hard work of thinking. Here's one of the principles they teach you when you go to seminary. If you're to understand the Bible, the first thing you need to do is understand what it meant when it was written to the people it was first written to. And then you can understand how to apply it in our day. But that doesn't mean, of course, that there's not huge amounts for us to learn 
in 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that in all that we're going to learn about prophecy in tongues and in all that that teaches us about all the other spiritual gifts as well. Number two, prophecy in tongues ending doesn't mean that God can't still give amazing gifts in languages today. Some point, uh, hopefully, this week in the prayer diary, or as you have other prayer diaries that you work through, you're going to be thinking about a Christian worker who is speaking in and working in a different language. Um, if you were with us just a few weeks ago um, in the morning, Pam shared how she would love to be more fluent in Punjabi so that she can speak more effectively to her Sikh friends and family. When we had Ed Rogers here, he was um, sharing with me afterwards how he's that they're, they're pretty confident in the everyday language where they are in Central Asia. But actually, if he was able to speak with some of the historical understanding of the ancient history of the language of that country, he would be more persuasive and more helpful in speaking to the people there. So when you're thinking of Pam and Ed Rogers and all of the other missionaries that we know and all the other missionaries that you know who aren't even connected to Emmanuel, please pray that God would enable them to speak in languages that are not their mother tongue so that they can do the exact work that the church was seeking to do at the very beginning and tell people the gospel in their language. Third thing, prophecy and tongues ending doesn't mean that God isn't still at work today. Many of us have experienced a prompting from the Lord. There's been a time, it's inexplicable to you, you couldn't describe it very sensibly to anybody else, where you have been prompted to pray for somebody who's not been in your mind for any other reason. You've been prompted to say something in particular to somebody that you weren't perhaps thinking of saying. And there's that sense of, I think the Lord is moving in my heart to do this. Now, Christians have used different words for that kind of thing. Uh, Sometimes Christians refer to it as an impression. The Bible doesn't give us a word for that kind of event. And I think we need to recognize that as indicating to us how much of a priority we shouldn't put on those kinds of things. And yet, and yet, God is at work in your life, in my life. He's opening up parts of his word so that we would see areas of our life when we need to change and areas of somebody else's life where we need to encourage them or rebuke them. The fact that prophecy in tongues have finished does absolutely not mean that God is still at work with his people today. And that should remind us fourthly that prophecy and tongues ending does not mean that our charismatic friends are exercising power from the devil. Now, I've written that title that starkly because when I was younger, that was how I was told the argument ended. Uh, I I was told that if somebody is doing something with a gift that we believe has ended, the only possible source by which they could do that work is the devil. Now, I hope and pray that we can see that there are many, many more gracious ways to speak of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That is not to underestimate the reality, let's have the whole board on the table, 
that there are some people who have so ignored and rejected the gospel that they are trying to drag people away from the gospel and are simply preaching heresy that does come from the devil. But that's not where the vast majority of my charismatic brothers and sisters are. They're going to come to a different conclusion on some of these things. And we might look at them and describe what they're doing in different words, but we can, we must be more gracious than to say Because you have a difference of opinion on these things and you think it's to do with something spiritual, it must therefore be of the devil. Positively, two things. Prophecy in tongues ending means that we can have peace in knowing the fullness of God's word. The Bible that you have in your hands or on your gadget and the spirit of God who is at work in the lives of every single Christian is absolutely everything you need to glorify God and to do good to your fellow Christians. There must not be that fear of missing out, of looking on at others who perhaps have understood these passages differently and do things differently in their worship service and think, I wonder if I'm missing out on something that would be better or richer or more powerful Knowing that these things were good gifts for a season that have now come to an end because we have the fullness of God's word means we can have peace in knowing that we have all that God intended for his people. And finally, prophecy and tongues ending reminds us that God's purpose for the church has always been the same. When you look back at these passages, we're going to work through this chapter slowly, make sure we understand it rightly. You might have the feeling of it was a completely different place in Paul's day. But if you just step back from the chapter as we work through it, what are you going to see? You're going to see Paul tell people that the only things they should be doing in the church are to edify one another. That's why he tells us to use prophecy. That's why if there are tongues, they should always be interpreted. Everything is about building up the church. Now, we have the fullness of his revelation in his word. And the purpose doesn't change. So if you look at the verses 24, 25... God's purpose for the church is still exactly the same. We now have his finished and final word, but what are we praying that through it will happen? Verses 24 and 25. That God will bring people to conviction of sin. That his spirit is going to bring people to that right sense of judgment before our holy God. Knowing that even if we can hide all of the sins that we don't want anybody else to know from each other, All of them, all of them are laid bare before the all-knowing God. So what happens in our church is exactly the same as the goal of what happened in the Corinthian church. You come to the point of recognizing that you are a beggar who desperately needs hope at the foot of the cross. That's what's described in verse 25. 
that wonderful sense of knowing that I can worship God, exclaiming that God is really among you, and you can know, even this evening, that you are right before that God. That is the same purpose for the church as it has always been. So as we're going to come to the supper now, let's sing a song that pulls all of those longings together. Let's plead with God to give us, we're going to use the words, a steady, strong desire, a calmly fervent zeal to rescue sinners from the fire. That is the point of prophecy in tongues then and the fullness of the scriptures now. That we will be able to speak to our friends and neighbors so that they would come under that sense of conviction and see the hope of forgiveness through the finished work of Jesus on the cross.